So yeah, here we are. This is our third week of the Holy Habit series. Uh, Dave Armstrong took us through the Holy Habit of faith and expectation and what God might do. Um, last week, Stephanie took us through the Holy Habit of gratitude. And uh, I'll be taking you through the Holy Habit of Sabbath, the practice of Sabbath. What does it mean for us to be a Sabbath people shaped in the way of the Lord of the Sabbath, who, of course, is Jesus? Um, I want to open up just by reading a quote from a Jewish rabbi called Abraham Joshua Heschel, who wrote an amazing book, a little book about 120 pages long called The Sabbath. And this little book is gold. If you can get your hands on it, I would thoroughly recommend you read it. But this is the quote that we're going to begin with this morning. The Sabbath is the presence of God in the world, open to the soul of man. God is not in things of space, but in moments of time. We're going to unpack that a little bit this morning as we go along, and hopefully um, it will become apparent to you where we're going with it. But uh, today, it's maybe true to say that we don't really pay very much attention to this ancient notion of Sabbath. Some of us maybe have a memory, like me, of what it was like to observe Sabbath when we were growing up in the kind of religious climate of Northern Ireland. For me, Sabbath was a kind of day that was full of thou shalt not. You know, it was a day of prohibitions. Thou shalt not wash the car on a Sunday to earn extra pocket money. Thou shalt wear your Sunday best clothes when attending church because the Lord thy God loves a good leather tie. I kid you not. Thou shalt not do your mathematics homework on a Sunday. Thou shalt not watch EastEnders on a Sunday because it is a foul program. Thou shalt not go to the shops on a Sunday. You may have guessed it. I was not a fan of observing Sabbath when I was growing up. It was a dull, kind of dreary day, and it meant that we had to go to church sometimes three times on a Sunday. Bible class or Sunday school, children's church and church. Ugh. It's crazy, you know. So the, the idea of Sabbath for me growing up kind of be, became synonymous with Sunday. And in my mind, growing up, Sundays kind of sucked, you know. So this notion of Sabbath obviously sucked as well, you know. There wasn't very many opportunities for me growing up to kind of view Sabbath in an affirmative way or as something that was a positive declaration of faith or identity. I'm sure that's not really how my parents saw it. And there was a sincere kind of desire on their part um, to honor God in all of that. Uh, But nevertheless, that's how we kind of rolled in the kind of late 80s, early 90s in the Hawthorne household, for better or worse. But culture has changed in Northern Ireland since I was a kid. You know, praise Jesus. Sunday, which in our house was the Sabbath, has sort of become a day a little bit like every other day. Laws have changed. They allow commerce to happen on a wider scale than ever before, reflecting a society that's no longer really bound by the religious culture that so long defined it. Secularization of our weekly calendar is a reality for us. And for the most part, we the church, we embrace this. We're shaped by it and we maybe even celebrate it. There is some good in it. But here's the rub. As a community of Jesus today, I want us to ponder if we, in fact, lost something very special in our zeal to shake off the religious shackles that perhaps once bound us. I want to ask a question this morning. Have we thrown the Sabbath baby out with the bathwater? 
When I became a follower of Jesus at 26, I wanted nothing to do with the way things had been. So I shed any notion of the Sabbath practice as a relic, as an antiquated idea from a quasi-legalistic past childhood religious experience. Like I said, no fault of my parents. They were kind of just working with the tools that they had been given and they were sincere, Jesus-loving folks. But when I first started to follow Jesus, you know, one of my first aims was to turn over. I wasn't going to go back to the way things were. And I set about abandoning kind of old, tired traditions in favor of the new. So Sabbath, for sure, was relegated to the scrap heap. But I never really found an alternative. So what exactly is Sabbath? And why should we care or even give a second thought to this ancient notion? On Friday past, as a family, as I was preparing for today, we, we talked about Sabbath. And it was really interesting. I actually asked the kids what they thought of Sabbath. Had they ever heard of Sabbath? To which Bria, in true Bria fashion, answered, is it a dessert? <laughs> Not quite, you know. But that answer could be a little bit more profound than you first think. Uh, Old Testament theologian Walter Brueggemann, he tells us that at its very root, at its most basic meaning, Sabbath is a stoppage of work. It is a refusal to be identified by productivity, a refusal to find our identity and work. But it's so much more than that as well, I want to contend this morning. Again, uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel says this in his classic work, The Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath is the day on which we learn the art of surpassing civilization, which is kind of a mic drop moment there. I want to say that in an exhausted world, Sabbath is the practice of a deep, deep breath. I recently got this new toy here, Apple Watch, whatever it's called, and uh, it's got this Breathe app on it. And you kind of hit it, you can have one minute or five minutes of just stopping and breathing. And it's been incredible the past couple of weeks as I've noticed myself messing about with this app, puncturing your day with just a minute or five minutes of breathing, focusing on your breath and taking a deep breath. And this is what the Sabbath is in our week, in our time. We're going to run through a number of passages this morning to help us grapple with this riff of Sabbath that kind of runs through the narrative of Scripture. Starting at the obvious place right at the beginning in the book of Genesis, the creation narratives in their poetic way describe the creation itself as having a rhythm of work and rest. Here's Genesis 2, 1 to 3. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Whether you want to take it literally literally or poetically, the scripture records that God rested on the seventh day from all his works. You think you had a productive week? Get into Genesis 1 and 2. That's a productive week. (laughs) God nailed it. He killed it. That word describing God as rested on the seventh day is Shabbat. 
in the original Hebrew, and it literally means that God re-selfed on the seventh day of creation. He came to himself again. He regathered himself. He recollected himself. After expanding himself in his work, he refreshed himself on the seventh day. God rested. God Shabbat. He Sabbathed. You know, for many of us, work is something that we have a bit of an uneasy relationship with. For many of us, like a 50 plus hour week means nothing. The office comes with us in our back pockets with our smartphones. And some of us have probably even brought the office with us in here today. Some of you are probably backed into a corner and feel like we've no choice but to work crazy shifts and these crazy hours that we've been given. Maybe, you know, you work long shifts in the NHS and I know some of you in this room work for the NHS and you're under huge pressure and you're actually saving lives and doing so. And there's a huge thank you in that. We get it. But all too often for many of us, we have to ask the question, you know, how are you doing? And the response is, busy. becomes a badge of honor that we wear. The answer is busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm important. I've got things to do. I'm an influencer. I've got this deal. I've got this project. I'm needed by these people. I'm busy. Let's go. But Dallas Willard says this about busyness. Dallas Willard says, busy is the greatest enemy of spiritual life. And I haven't got the quote up on the screen, but I'm going to read a great quote by Frederick Buchner. He says, this is about sloth and laziness, which for many of us we imagine is the opposite of busy. He says this, sloth is not to be confused with laziness. A lazy man, a man who sits around and watches the grass go, grow, may be a man at peace. His sun-drenched bumblebee dreaming may be the prelude to action or itself an act well worth acting. A slothful man, on the other hand, may be a very busy man. He is a man who goes through the motions, who flies an automatic pilot. Like a man with a bad head cold, he has mostly lost his sense of taste and smell. He knows something's wrong with him, but not wrong enough to do anything about it. Other people come and go, but through glazed eyes, he hardly notices them. He is letting things run their course. He is getting through his life. He is busy. So we kind of work hard and we, in, we feel entitled to our playtime at the weekend, our days off. But Sabbath is different to our modern notion of the weekend where we generally mark out time for play and relaxation. Even in our play, many of us are busy. Our weekends end up being busy. We obsess about sports or about taking our kids to this party or that club. We can't wait to get to the shops to spend our hard-earned cash in a little retail therapy or get out in the town to numb ourselves with the allure of whatever it is we imagine we might find in the latest bar, club, or restaurant. We fill our diaries and the same riff is heard as our work week on our weekend. Busy, busy, busy. That is, of course, and we're loath to admit it, but it's more likely we just slob out at the weekend and we watch back-to-back Netflix on the couch with a litre of ice cream and a bag of Doritos. It's me. Whether we busy play or lazy play, we've missed the essence of Sabbath. Enjoy your weekends. Take a day off. That is a good thing. 
but take a Sabbath too. We in this room might all have differing ideas about what Sabbath might mean for us. I really observe it as a command. Has Sunday become our new Sabbath? Didn't Jesus fulfill the Sabbath on our behalf and any notion of Sabbath keeping should be relegated to the Old Testament or to the Jewish people today? Maybe that's all true and I'm not really going to go into theological kind of fineries this morning. And it's interesting to note actually in the New Testament that the fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath day holy, is the only commandment that isn't repeated in the New Testament. But I want to sketch out, try to sketch out this morning what it might mean for us as a people who are shaped in the way of Jesus to be shaped in this notion of Sabbath. What does it mean for us? This notion of Sabbath that is woven into the very fabric of the the narrative of Scripture of the people of God and it's actually woven into the very fabric of time itself. Let's read uh, the first of those, the second of those passages, Mark 2, 23 to 28. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields as he made their way, as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any of the priests, any but the priests did, and also gave it to those who were with him. And they said to him, The Sabbath is not was made from and he said to them, sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So here we have Jesus and one of his many clashes with the Pharisees. And he clashes many times with the Pharisees through the narrative of the Gospels. And um, he goes around healing those who were sick and oppressed on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees did not like this one little bit. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is referencing himself here. But what does he mean? To find out, we're going to do a quick skip through a couple of passages of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. This is about the fourth commandment. It's kind of the second time in in Exodus uh, at Mount Sinai, Moses receives the Ten Commandments from uh, from the Lord. And this is kind of revisiting that in Deuteronomy 5. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God has brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This passage tells us that the people of Israel were commanded to keep the Sabbath day as a way of remembering their past of being held in bondage by Egypt and forced to slave labor. These were stories that the people of Israel told themselves about their origins and as recorded in the Torah. According to the scholar 
Walter Brueggemann's Sabbath only really became properly practiced by the ancient Israelites during the time of exile in Babylon, about five, six hundred years before Christ. You can imagine the power these stories would have had as they found themselves under the iron rule of the Babylonians. In exile, the Jewish people had to be very intentional about maintaining their Jewish identity in the face of being taken into captivity. They were under the threat of very real, the very real possibility of assimilation with the Babylonians who held them. And the faithful practice of Sabbath would have marked them out and allowed them to maintain their Jewish identity in the midst of exile under a foreign power. The way the Jews would have organized their time in observing Sabbath would have been in stark contrast to the Babylonians uh, under whose rule they were. The people of God, you see, have always had a difficult relationship with empire, which is what the Babylonians were. First, the Egyptians, they were under. Then there was the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and finally the Romans in the New Testament at the time of Jesus. These are all empires that the people of God find themselves under, and it's no different for us really today. Empire is something that actually we are all too familiar with. Empire is something that we live in. We live in it. Empire is the collective economic, political, and religious powers and principalities of this material world that are in opposition to the ways of the kingdom of God. Empire uses specific tools to keep itself in power and those who will sustain it in control while taking power from those who demand justice for the oppressed and who cut against the grain of the empire. For us today in the West, empire is hostile to any distinct faith identity that tries to define itself in any other way apart from as consumers and participants in the marketplace. But for us, the practice of Sabbath can act as resistance that cuts deeply against the grain of this pressure to conform to the forces of empire in the midst of a market-driven society. In a world where time equals money, it's a way where time set apart for rest and for inaction and marked out by a refusal to produce, produce, produce. It can seem that in many ways society today has made it a virtue to violate creation's rhythm of work and rest. And the result is that many of us in this room and in our society operate out of a default fatigue. Let's read Colossians 2, 16 to 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The keeping of Sabbath for the people of Israel was a shadow of things that were and things that are to come. The Sabbath observance of the people of Israel was a shadow that was fulfilled in Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who allows people to enter into a true Sabbath rest. This might be a bit random, but think about it this way. Who remembers the 1984 movie, Karate Kid? Who's seen it? Yeah, my childhood was largely influenced by Daniel-san and Mr. Miyagi. There he is. If you're going to have one picture in your preach, it's got to be Mr. Miyagi. Uh, 
So he remembers Danielson set the ta- set task by Mr. Miyagi. Wax on, wax off. Sand the floor, paint the face. Wax on, wax off. Sand the floor, paint the face. And of course, Mr. Miyagi was very clever. What he was doing was teaching Danielson how the, the art of defensive karate through these mundane tasks. So that when the time came for Daniel to face the Cobra Kai uh, dojo guys in a true fight, he would know those things uh, through practice and as they had subconsciously gone into his mind, he would know how to react in the fight. The practice was the shadow. The substance was the fight. In the same way, practicing Sabbath observance for the ancient people of Israel wasn't just a downing of tools and resting for the day. It was kind of like a semi-conscious preparation for the day when they would recognize the Messiah, the true Lord of the Sabbath, who would invite them into the rest that was to be found in him. This is the same hope of the Jewish people that the, that the Jewish people have today. And here's a, here's a quote by Abraham Joshua Heschel again. He says, he says this, the Sabbath is a metaphor for paradise and a testimony to God's presence. In our prayers, we anticipate a messianic era that will be a Sabbath. And each Shabbat pre- prepares us for that experience. Unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. It was on the seventh day that God gave the world a soul, and the world's survival depends upon the holiness of the seventh day. The task becomes how to convert time into eternity and how to fill our time with spirit. Six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. So I want to make the case this morning, Redeemer Sandro, that we somehow recover this ancient practice of Sabbath. We might already have cast it aside, deeming it obsolete or past its sell-by date. We might have deconstructed any silly notion of seeing time as actually sanctified, as inhabited by God, as set apart for our good and the presence of God that's to be found there. I want to suggest that we become a Sabbath people, a people who have learned that in order for us to avoid being swallowed up by the culture and the empire around us, that we allow ourselves to follow into the rhythms of the kingdom of God and follow the Lord of the Sabbath into the rest that he offers. And in doing so, we regularly take a deep, deep breath. feels good. It might shock horror actually look like a 24-hour period where you and your family or you and your city group or your friends consciously unplug from distractions, from work, from consuming at the marketplace, even from leisure and our obsession with sports. And instead, we become alive to the pregnant possibilities of the presence of God to be found in the things of life that truly matter of friendship, of family, community, of laughter, of music, of song, of art, of reading, of walks in nature, of listening to the sea or the wind and the trees, of good food and drink, of conversations, of listening ears, of shoulders to cry on, of tables that are open 
and in all these things an openness to the presence of God. We tried this as a family on Friday past. As the sun went down, we got some candles out. We each lit a candle. We all held hands and we all prayed a prayer for the Holy Spirit to come and be with us this weekend and the things that we were doing. Each of the kids prayed a prayer uh, just about what we would be doing and we invited the Spirit to come. We poured the wine. We ate some beautiful food. We went for a walk in the woods yesterday. Jude went off to be with her buddies for the weekend. Good things, Sabbath things. We're not there, but we're gonna try it. We're gonna practice taking a deep, deep breath one day a week. If Sabbath is about two things, it's about rest, and Sabbath is about worship. And maybe these two things can be the grid through which we're able to filter any newly discovered Sabbath practice today. See, Sabbath at its very essence should be a practice of delight, of recovering the delight in life, and it should be received as a gift and celebrated with gratitude. It's not some law that we need to adhere to this side of the resurrection. It's all grace. It is a gift. And if we rewind right back to the beginning of Genesis, you might remember from that passage that God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Perhaps this might be understood as God blessing the Sabbath in such a way that enables the practice of it to allow life to be renewed, to allow life to be filled up again. The deep, deep breath where there is opportunity for us to be re-self, to recollect ourselves. So we said that Sabbath is an opportunity for delight and to take a deep, deep breath. And we've also said that Sabbath is an opportunity for resistance, a means by which we kind of raise a fist to empire and to the culture around us that wants to assimilate us and flatten out our identities by being consumers. We get the Sabbath, we get to practice this Sabbath as a gift of grace. It doesn't need to be, and it certainly isn't a boring list of thou shalt nots. And it's not a legalistic relic of yesterday. It's actually the divine rhythm of creation and time itself. It speaks of the Sabbath rest that is ours now and is found in Christ. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who promised that he would give rest that his yoke would be easy and his burden would be light. Our final passage of scripture this morning is Matthew 11. Very well known. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke that Jesus is talking about here would have been understood by the original people as the teaching that a rabbi would have brought as he moved from town to town and village to village. The rabbi's teaching was described as a yoke and it was his interpretation, his teaching on the Torah. And the scribes and Pharisees who Jesus was confronting, they had, an, they had added so much to the original idea of what Sabbath and the Torah was teaching. 
they had bound the people up in legalistic rules and regulations, and many of those would have applied to Sabbath practice. Jesus offered those who were burned out and exhausted from following the dead religion and strict constraints of the scribes and Pharisees a different way. He offered them a way that involved learning from him in his gentleness and his loneliness, and in doing so, finding rest for their souls. Our primary goal as followers of Jesus by the Spirit The Holy Spirit is how we are able to be with Jesus, to be with our rabbi on a moment-by-moment basis. And the Holy Spirit is how we enter into his rest. This is the promise of the way of Jesus, to enter into his rest, to find our weary, burdened souls at rest in the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath, If we find that we're doing it any other way this morning, we're doing it wrong. If you find yourself defined more by the demands of the empire and of the marketplace, then you have strayed from the path of the Lord of the Sabbath. But this morning, he beckons you to come back to him. He beckons you to come into the rest that is to be found in him. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. doesn't mean it's not going to be trying. It does mean that it will be a path full of trial and full of suffering, actually. But it also means that we get to practice taking a deep, deep breath as we travel the road and we follow after the Lord of the Sabbath in the places and spaces that we inhabit in our lives. It does mean that we learn to situate ourselves in the one in whom is found rest and that we begin to work from a place of rest. It does mean that we are invited to live an unhurried life that speaks prophetically to the culture in which we find ourselves. So Redeemer Central, let's be a Sabbath people who recover what it means to practice Sabbath as we walk in the ways of the Lord of the Sabbath.